This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. What I know that their scars is my scars. Their pain is my pain. Their experience is my experience. They are my people. And I will not leave them behind. That's a clip from Persecuted Christians, a documentary by veteran foreign correspondent Martin Himmel that will air this Wednesday on Vision TV. Today, Martin joins me with details of the systematic and shocking violence against Christians in some Muslim countries. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, what will I be? And it hasn't even hit the newsstands yet, but Jan Arden's revealing centerfold in the new issue of Zoomer magazine has been making headlines all across the country. Today, I talked to Jan about her decision to uncover herself and what her parents think. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Plus, we'll honor the songwriter behind some of Disney's biggest hits. Robert Sherman passed away Monday at the age of 86. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. There's bad news for American Zoomers who rely on prescription drugs. An AARP study finds the price of the drugs most widely used by older Americans rose 26 percent from 2005 to 2009. That's nearly twice the rate of inflation. The report examined the retail prices of 514 brand name and generic drugs commonly used by Medicare recipients. It says that While the price of generic drugs fell by nearly 31% during that period, the cost of brand-name drugs increased more than 40%, and specialty drugs rose more than 48%. AARP, which advocates for American Zoomers, says the increase may lead to higher insurance premiums and hurt many seniors who are struggling financially. They're calling it a woman's issue, and they raised it last Thursday on International Women's Day. According to a group called Lost Canadians, thousands of people are excluded from citizenship because they were born to unwed mothers over 65 years ago. Among them are some of the 22,000 children who were born overseas to Canadian servicemen and arrived in Canada with their war bride mothers during or immediately after the Second World War. Some were born out of wedlock, and after spending a lifetime in Canada, these war bride children are still not able to claim citizenship because of an obscure provision of the 1946 Citizenship Act. Meanwhile, The Independent, a British daily newspaper, has done a study on the best and worst places in the world to be a woman. It found that overall, Iceland takes the top spot. It offers the greatest equality between men and women in politics, employment, health, and education. Based on the same factors, 
Yemen comes out at the bottom of the list. The best place to be a female artist is Sweden, and the best place to be the boss is Thailand. It has the highest number of women in senior management. Unfortunately, Canada was not listed as number one in any of the categories on the list. And finally, a group of Russian grandmothers has won a talent competition to represent the country in the 2012 Eurovision Song Contest. The group, known as the Buranovo Grannies, beat out much younger acts who were all vying to take the top spot and have a chance to sing for their country. Their winning song, which begins as a traditional folk tune before a modern dance beat kicks in, features the refrain, Party for everybody, come on and dance. The Grannies will compete against performers from the European Broadcasting Union during a live television event. They say that any money they raise will be used to build a church in their hometown of Buranovo. Meanwhile, the famous Zoomer Engelbert Humperdinck will be representing the United Kingdom in the competition. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. She's turning 50 and she's at the top of her game. By now, the whole country knows that singer-songwriter Jan Arden is marking the occasion with a sassy nude centerfold in Zoomer magazine. I talked to her about why she's celebrating her birthday in her birthday suit and why she still worries about what mom and dad think. Jan Arden, it's great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Libby, thank you for having me. The April issue of <laughs> Zoomer magazine is is coming out tomorrow, and you are the cover girl. And just like your the name of your latest album, Uncover Me, that's exactly what happened. How did that happen? Well, I had flown down to New York um, to do a photo shoot with the Zoomer and to meet the wonderful Brian Adams. At the very end of our lovely sort of editorial shoot, um, he came up to me and said, I want to run an idea past you. And I said, okay. And uh, it was a beautiful picture of this, you know, this woman. And he said, I'd like you to try this. And, of course, she had no clothes on. And I said, are you crazy? And he goes, you know what? It's such a, you always talk to me about body image and, you know, women being marginalized and fashion and advertising. And, you know, I didn't think about it long. I just said to my assistant, should I do it? And he goes, yeah, what the hell? So we did it. You know, I'm looking at the picture right now. I think it's lovely. Thank you. Well, I think it really enabled me to say to women, you know, love yourself and embrace yourself no matter what size you are, what age you are. I'm sure that it was partly that statement for you, but was it partly like, hey, I'm hot. Why not? I don't think um, I've ever been running around saying I'm hot by any stretch of the imagination, but I absolutely adore, you know, my myself, and, and I don't walk past a mirror ever and, and hide my eyes. I've never been that girl. I wasn't that girl as a teenager, and so many of my friends are, Libby. They're like, I hate my legs, I hate my arms, I hate my stomach, I, you know, I can't get rid of this. I'm an, and I'm just like, are you kidding me? What do you think about having that picture for everyone to see in a magazine. I'm really proud of it. And if anything, you know, there are millions of me, millions and millions and millions, girls and women just like me. And I think the opportunity that Zoomer magazine gave me was to be able to 
have my little political moment because I'm not really a political person. My parents kind of flipped out because I said, Mom, it's not my full frontal anything. I said, it's very tastefully done. It would be like the pinup girl of days gone by. I said, it's my bum and my back and my feet and a few rolls here and there and, <laughs> you know, and my head. But I'm, I think Brian did a beautiful job of it. You uh, live very close to your parents, and that's a really important relationship in your life. Well, I'm very fortunate that at my age, I still have both my parents, and they're relatively young. My dad's uh, 76 and my mom's 75, and they live 60 feet from me. I bought property west of Calgary years ago, and my mom and dad built their little granny cottage on my property. And, you know, at first I was really, I don't know, I was trepidatious about it. And I regret not having done it 10 years sooner, Libby. I really do, because they're amazing neighbors. They're so fun to have around. And I will always treasure this time. And how often do you see them when you're at home? Well, you know, they're very good about my privacy. Like, if I'll, I'll have been away. By the time I get home, I'll have been on the road for two months. And so it usually takes me two or three days just to get my feet under me and, and you know, get caught up on things. And they might, you know, give me a call three or four days later. And I'm not kidding you. Well, we knew you were just getting organized over there. Like, they're just wonderful. Well, let me know if you need anything, and we'll run into town. And I don't know. I just, I lucked out in that department. That's a wonderful thing to hear. It's always great to hear about families getting along together. Uh, you've well, had some. It wasn't always like that, lady. Exactly. I was just going to say, you know, your body was not the only thing you uncovered. You recently wrote a, a memoir called Falling Backwards, and you talk about some of the tough times in your family. Absolutely. I mean, my dad was a big drinker growing up, and he was not a presence in our home. And when he was around, it was, it was, it was a fairly big, dark cloud. And you know, I think I was just a little bit too young to understand what my mom was up against. And my older brother was in a lot of trouble from the word go. I mean, I, I don't know how I managed to escape, but I discovered my mom's guitar when I was really young and spent an enormous amount of time learning how to play and sing and Right, and I did a lot of sports, which I wasn't very good at. Your brother is still in trouble with the law. He's been in jail for 20 years now, and he was charged with first-degree murder, which I have to say he has never, he's always claimed his innocence. He's got the Innocence Project on the West Coast working on his behalf. You know, our family has never, one way or the other, what we believe and what we don't believe. Our agenda was to love him no matter what. And so we didn't focus on that. We didn't focus on guilt or innocence. We just focused on loving him and caring about him. And we still go up and see him every couple of weeks. I haven't seen him now by the time I get home, but as soon as I get home, I'll drive up with mom and dad and have a visit. Okay. Now, in the meantime, do you have a favorite track in uh, the new album? You know, I really, really love But I love Dream. Love Hurts, I think, turned out amazly well. Um, I just, I'm so pleased with the record. Honest to God, you could throw a dart at that thing. Libby and I'd be happy with whatever you played. Okay, on that note, I think we'll wrap it up. <laughs> Jan Arden, thanks so much, and good luck with everything. Well, thanks again for the opportunity. I, the women of the world, are, are, I think they're in for a, a good, fun surprise. And you can see that revealing spread in the new issue of Zoomer magazine in stores tomorrow. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. Coming up, I'll be joined by Martin Himmel. 
He's the man behind the documentary, Persecuted Christians. It documents the violence that many Christians living in the Arab world face on a day-to-day -day basis. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Unfortunately, the title says it all. Persecuted Christians is a vision TV documentary that chronicles the plight of some of the oldest Christian communities in the world as believers are increasingly targeted in some parts of the Muslim world. It's the story of a pastor who copes with his own torture by helping others escape to Canada. And I'm here with filmmaker Martin Himmel. Your documentary is called Persecuted Christians. Uh, we've all seen the headlines, but what made you realize that the problem was grave enough that it needed this kind of treatment? Well, Iraq is the best case in recent time. There were about a million Iraqi Christians in Iraq pre the U.S. Uh, invasion. Uh, now, more than 50% have left. They've been driven out, basically. To be an Iraqi Christian in Baghdad is taking your life in your hands every day. You can be raped, shot, killed, kidnapped. And uh, those who had no money fled north to the Kurdish area, which is much safer. It's basically another country. Those who had a bit more money uh, fled to Amman and Damascus, which was safer at one time, and then from there got visas to Canada or the United States. And uh, right now, Christians in Egypt, and that's almost 12 million Christians, almost 10% of the population, feel very threatened by uh, the changes there. Christians in Syria feel really caught in the middle of the civil war that's going on there as well. You focus on the situation in Egypt. Now, this uh, Coptic Christian community is ancient. They have been there forever. They're generally a successful community, and some of them have had, you know, top political office. Boutros Ghali, the former prime minister, is a Coptic Christian. The Coptic Christians in uh, Egypt are probably one of the most continuous Christian communities in the entire world. They have been Christian since the time of Christ, basically, uh, establishing, first of all, in Alexandria. And their traditions are in many ways similar to the way they were 2,000 years ago. They were there before, actually, the Muslims came in, which was in the about six, seven hundred years later. The uh, Coptic Christians have managed to coexist with uh, times that are hard and times that were good. It goes up and down all the time, and right now is a tougher time. Now is the big question mark. Now, the Muslim Brotherhood and the Salafists, uh, each are two m dominant uh, Muslim parties, have taken over the parliament. Uh, Egypt is heading towards some sort of combination of Islamic theocratic rule and something that's secular with the military. We don't know how it's going to end in the end. But uh, some of these groups are quite conservative. They consider the Christian heretics, and Christian churches have been burned recently. And some Christians have been killed, and they're very, very frightened of what might happen. How uh, widespread are these attacks on churches? It's not happening every day, but uh, it does happen. Several have been burned or attacked in the last year, and uh, many Christians are intimidated and they're frightened, and they still can't get certain jobs. The Muslim Brotherhood, I spoke to the Muslim Brotherhood, says the Christians are equal citizens with the Muslims and we're going to make it that way, but the Christians don't buy it so quickly because they see what's happening in Iraq, for example, where they're caught in the middle of a fight between Shiites and Sunnis and they're attacked by all sides. 
and uh, they're very frightened that the, they're going to follow the destiny of the Iraqi Christians. They're very, very frightened of that. Actually, the Syrian Christians are really caught in a bad spot because Bashar Assad and Hafez Assad, the dictators and who are very ruthless right now, killing an awful lot of uh, people in the country, were very good to the Christians. And uh, Christians really flourished in Syria. And now they're frightened that they'll be identified with Bashar Assad. And what will the Sunnis do? And if they don't identify with Bashar Assad and he wins, what's going to happen to their position? So they're in a very delicate position. Back to the Egyptians. Are they leaving? Have they come to the conclusion that they have to leave? Or And I would imagine that's so difficult after they've been there that long. It, those who are very wealthy and have options, many of them are not outright leaving yet, but they have secured their options, whether it's money offshore or homes offshore, somewhere where they can go to if things get really bad. Uh, those are in the middle class. Some have looked for jobs. Some are taking a good look outside. All of them are quite concerned. Those that are poor have no option. And many, many uh, Egyptian Christians are very poor because the country is extremely poor. There seems to be so little awareness of this problem. I think a lot of it has to do with political correctness. I think that's a big issue. There is a bit of a myopic view also because people look in their own areas and they can't see the complexities of what's going on around the world. And again, I think that they're being bombarded by a very simplistic view of either the Arab-Israeli conflict or this is a wonderful Arab Spring that is bringing about democracy and openness, when in fact there is big change in the Arab world, but so far it's bringing a lot of chaos and regional militias and uh, hardline Islamic viewpoints, they're taking power. So it's not a simple issue of like uh, democracy in Czechoslovakia or Germany. And uh, when issues of the Christians come in, it disrupts this convenient sort of outlook that it's just simply a matter of democracy taking hold in the region or the problems in Arab-Israeli conflict. Now, in this documentary, you follow a couple of people, Egyptians, Egyptian Canadians. Tell me about that. Well, our main character is a very unusual man who's a reverend. His name is Majid al-Shafi. About eight or nine years ago, he started a, uh, a grassroots movement to try to develop Christian prayer, Christian theology in Egypt among uh, young people, and he was arrested and tortured for that. The last stage of, of the torture, they took me to another dark room. There was a piece of wood and cross shape, and... Um, they took off my clothes and they crucified me for two days and a half. He managed to escape the country and got political religious asylum in Canada. And since that time, he set up, he's a very ambitious and dynamic young guy, he set up a, a group called One Free World International. And through that, he uh, tries to advocate human rights for Christians in uh, oppressed countries like Iraq, Egypt, etc. Through his efforts, we, we follow him and... Um, he has been tortured, and one of the ways he deals with his own torture is helping those others who have either been tortured, raped, or have lost loved ones. And uh, we meet uh, other Egyptian Canadians who he managed to get influence in Ottawa and to get emergency visas for them, people who have been tortured, people who still suffer from chronic PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and, uh, and he tries to help them. Uh, and he uses his influence to convince senators, members of parliament, to go with him to Iraq, and we follow him there to try to... It's fascinating. Try dangerous to, trip, too. Right, dangerous trip, and try to help Christians in those countries by leveraging that presence to get to the highest levels of the Iraqi government, and he does do that, That's which is quite incredible. So uh, we follow his efforts to try to help these Christians. Okay. On that note, unfortunately, we'll wrap it up. Martin Himmel, thanks so much for being here. Thank you.
Be sure to catch the world premiere of Persecuted Christians this Wednesday evening at 10 p.m. on Vision TV. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. The week began on a sad note when Robert B. Sherman passed away at the age of 86. He was one half of the Sherman Brothers, a songwriting team that wrote some of the most iconic Disney classics. Coming up next, we'll take a look at Robert's career and hear some of the great songs he helped write. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Robert B. Sherman was one of the men behind the music of many Disney classics. Together with his brother Richard, they wrote songs for such movies as Mary Poppins, The Jungle Book, The Sword in the Stone, The Aristocats, and even films outside of the Disney universe like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. This week he passed away at the age of 86 in London. He's no longer with us, but he leaves behind a collection of songs that will certainly be enjoyed by future generations. Here's a quick medley of some of the popular tunes written by Robert B. Sherman. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. Now I'm the king of the swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. Which pet slaver on cream and loving pats? Naturellement, the Aristocats. Bring it up, bring it up, Tubby little cubby all stuffed with fluff. He's bring it up, bring it up. It's a world of splendor, a world of death. It's a world of hopes and a world of pain. There's so much that we share that is right where I will. It's a small world, a small world. Those were some songs written by Robert B. Sherman and his brother Richard. Robert passed away earlier this week at the age of 86. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Next week is Fashion Week here in Toronto, so the question is, is that industry waking up to the power of Zoomers? Next week, I'll be joined by Zoomer Magazine Editor-in-Chief and Fashionista-in-Chief Suzanne Boyd. Don't miss it. See you then. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.